Well, 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 good morning, church. Great to see all you guys this morning. Uh, I was so struck uh, this morning, both in the nine and and now again, uh, just uh, at the extraordinary nature of the words that we just put to music that um, so many of us uh, expressed as we were thinking on them and singing them out. Uh, it's an extraordinary set of words, isn't it? Uh, what, what, whatever you, you ask me, I will release. <laughs> whatever the cost, I give it up freely. Because everything belongs to you already. Is all of that true? Yes. yes. And, and what strikes me about it is how extraordinarily impossible that ask is from us to say, I I want that to be true of me. And yet what struck me as well is how deeply I believe that so many of you genuinely are saying that because you want that to be true of you as I want that to be true of me. What What a thing to come to God and to say, I want to live a life that whatever the cost to live life your way, I, I, I give it up freely. Whatever you ask me to release, I, I release it because it's all yours anyway. My story, my life, my gifts, my talents, my relationships, all of it. I want to live that way. I want that to be true of me more and more each day, even though today it feels more like a war inside me than it does a freedom I hold, Right? Because I war to trust in myself or in the things around me or the securities around me or the bank account or the relationships or the circumstances or whatever else you want. And I desire that. We uh, have been traveling through the book of Hebrews in our journey through the Bible. And one of the things, uh, if you've been around, that the author of Hebrews is constantly repeating and will be for the entirety of the letter is that the cost of following Jesus in the small and the big things can often be very big. And we will even at times in that cost uh, ask the question, should I keep following Jesus? Is it worth it? And the author of Hebrews is going to say over and over again, the cost of not following Jesus is higher than any cost you can imagine. The benefit of following Jesus is higher than anything you can imagine because Jesus is greater, Jesus is better, always. That's what we've been traveling through. And I believe that many of us desire that reality to be true in our lives more and more, which is exactly why in this short season in the middle of the book of Hebrews for three weeks, we together are gathering up as a church, sort of in a briefing of sorts, if you will, like we talked about last week. Uh, if we are uh, a, a, a team of people on a professional team, uh, a sports team, or we are a group of soldiers uh, uh, going out to war against the darkness, which both are biblical pictures given of who we are as the followers of Jesus, then we ought to gather up in some regularity and brief up and say, remember why we exist. Do you remember what we're doing all this for? Because otherwise it can just become a thing we do. We do church, we do it together. What for? What are we doing? Why do we exist? The mission to which we're called. And uh, how are we going to see that mission realized? What are we doing Uh, day in and day out, that will realize the mission to which we're called. And as importantly as both of those, when people experience us, when we experience each other, uh, what identity, what personhood, what reality are people experiencing us as? Are they experiencing us for who we actually are? Or have we forgotten ourselves and they're experiencing something other than what we are? What are our values? What is our code of conduct that reflects our identity? Not about the code, not about the behaviors, but about putting to words that which we want people to experience from us because that's who we are in Christ. This is what we as a church are navigating these three weeks. Last week, this week, and next week. Then back into the book of Hebrews where Jesus is greater, Jesus is better, uh, is declared over and over and over again. So last week we traveled 
through the big picture of these three components. We talked about the mission here at Mosaic, how we put words to that. We exist for a particular purpose. We do something that fulfills that existence. Here it is. We demonstrate our passion for God and his passion for people as we love God, love people, and serve the world. Like this, this is something we actually want to be real in the way we live and the way people experience us individually and collectively. Man, those people that are part of that church, man, they just love God. How do you know? Oh my gosh, so many ways. You just look at them like you, you in love, man. They're so passionate about God. And, and they're so passionate about God's love for people that they don't just talk about it. They actually kind of do what God might do if he were here. Wow, they love people. They're passionate about people. Oh my gosh, it's incredible. And, and how do you know? Well, they love God. They love people and they serve the whole world. And we actually want that to be a real thing. That, that people just say that without ever having read this. And then to see this realized, we talked last week, there are some things that we're going to do, our vision. Well, there's some things we're going to be doing together individually. And what are those things? We're going to make sure that we are equipped and are equipping one another for the work of ministry. What we just said, that you and I are equipped to do the things that our mission calls us to do, to, to demonstrate our passion for God and his passion for people, to, to love God, love people and serve the world. And there's a lot to that. So we're going to get equipped to do that work. And we are going to make sure that we are actually telling people about who Jesus is, inviting them to come to put their trust in him because of who he is and what he's done and challenging them to follow him and his ways for the rest of their lives because it's light, life and freedom. We're going to actually tell people that like, not just like, oh, I'm going to live my life beautifully before them and they shall never know that it's because of Jesus. No, you're going to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people because we know who Jesus is. Do you want people to know Jesus? Yes. Well, I'm glad there's two of you that are super excited about people knowing Jesus. Like if you don't want people to know Jesus, we got a conversation to have, right? Like, I know what it's like to know Jesus. I know what he's done for me. I know what he's doing for me. I know what it's like to find myself more and more uh, enamored, connected and intimate with him. And I want that for people. It's the best thing on the planet that I've ever experienced. Not to mention that I'm starting to discover exactly who is it. he is, that he's the king of kings and lord of lords. And we better all know him. Because someday every one of our knees is going to bow and every one of our tongues is going to confess. And I want to know him when that happens. So there's a lot of reasons why I want to tell people. And we are going to make sure that we are multiplying gospel outposts, gatherings of people who follow Jesus so that more people can know and hear about Jesus and come to know and trust him and follow him so that they can have light, life and freedom like we do. And then we want to make sure that as we're doing all of this sharing and gospel outposts and being equipped, that we're actually caring for people who are vulnerable, for each other when we're vulnerable, for the people out there when they're vulnerable, that we're caring for the vulnerable, for the orphans, the widows, and each other as we live our lives out. And if we do these things, then these things will translate, if they're being done, into this. We are demonstrating our passion for God and his passion for people as we love God, love people, and serve the world. Among other things, this will help get us there. And then last week, we shared with you guys that as we live this vision out to realize the mission we're called to, and if you want to know more about where we extracted all of that, because it's all directly out of the revelation of scripture, go listen to last week's podcast and it'll unpack all that for you. We walk into the space of our values. The code of conduct, if you will, that we are saying, there's more to it than just this, but this sort of umbrellas the starting point for us to put words to what it looks like if we follow Jesus, so that when we are with each other, we can identify whether we are living in our identity in Christ or forgetting ourselves. A reminder, these values are not about a set of behaviors that we hold each other to, they are about identifiers of our identity that when we miss the boat on them, we can assume of each other, you are forgetting who you are and I know you don't want to do that. 
I don't want to forget that I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't want to not follow him. I need you to help me not do that. And we're putting words to some identifiers to say, if I'm seeing this in you, you're seeing this in me, then we are running hard with our minds set on who we are in Christ. And if you don't see this in me, then come to me and help me get back to who I am. That's what these are. We want the world and each other to experience these things as real parts of who we are as we live it out. So we put them, we put them out there. And, and this is what they are. We here at Mosaic have put to words who we want people to experience us as and who we want each other to experience each other as. And here it is. First and foremost, we follow Jesus. We follow Jesus. Just FYI. So it's a starting point. Two, we are one. Three, we are gospel-centered. Four, we are extravagantly hospitable. Unreasonably so. People should go, that's ridiculous. And if they're going, you are ridiculous in your hospitality, we can go, good, it's a start. We want to be fearlessly generous, not just with our resources. That's not a resource statement exclusively or even primarily. It is in an inclusive statement of our lives. I want my life, all that I am and have been given to be ready to be deployed for whatever God might see fit would help his kingdom advance into the darkness and redeem unredeemed spaces, bringing light, life and freedom to death, darkness and bondage. And I want to be fearlessly generous with what I have been given as a totality of my life. And then we want to be daringly missional. Ultimately, simply meaning that when we ask, how hard is this going to be to step into this missional endeavor? We are asking that question to count the costs so that we can endure the journey we're called into, not to count the cost and decide if it's too hard. We are not going to be a people that say, that mission sounds too hard, too complicated, too difficult. It's going to cost us too much. We ain't doing it. If I'm counting cost, I'm counting cost to determine how to persevere in it, how to endure it, not to do it or not based on how hard it is. We are daringly missional. This is how we're going to roll. Now, what we want to do this week and next week is we want to take some time together to make sure that we are all clear together on what each of these statements intend to mean. Because as is typical in language and in culture, you can make a statement and believe wholeheartedly that everybody surely knows what you mean by it. And then you find out they know something totally different because they think it means something else. So we have worked very hard to make sure that we can identify what each of these statements means so that you and I are on the same page and you and I can decide whether we want to live out these values as identifiers of our identity in Christ. So we started with this first one that says, we follow Jesus. It does seem a little odd to start that one, at least from my vantage point, because it feels like that one's obvious. You know what I'm saying? Like you're stating the obvious. It's like you've made one of your values the very thing that all the values are supposed to demonstrate, right? I mean, what are we, what are we trying to live this out for? So that our identity is identified as followers of Jesus. So it seems a little odd that we would start off by saying, we follow Jesus, redundancy. So why would we do that? Well, oddly enough, we do this on purpose because... What it means when we say we follow Jesus in our culture and day is not what it meant when Jesus said, follow me. It often means something very different. And what we want to do is make sure that what we're saying together is that we actually follow Jesus. Every one of those words matter. We follow Jesus. So what did it mean and what does it mean now or often mean now that means we have to clarify. So early on when Jesus was on the planet and then during the time of the apostles, early disciples and early church, the people that followed Jesus were called the people of the way. 
because Jesus, remember, he identified himself as the way, the truth, and the life. So he had a way, he was a way, and they would say, we are followers of the way. And the people that were not followers of Jesus, that were enemies of the followers of Jesus, or thought badly of the followers of Jesus, came up with a derogatory term to identify followers of Jesus. And that derogatory term was that they called them little Christs. It was making fun of them. They were like, oh my gosh, look at the little Christs running around, all trying to be like their big Christ. That's how, that's how that terminology was used. Look, it's little Christs again, sort of saying to all those who follow Jesus, we see what you're trying to do. You're just trying to be exactly like Jesus and just conform your entire life to be a carbon copy of him. What a silly thing to do. What is the word in English that translates little Christ? It's the word Christian. Christian means little Christ. It's actually, it's direct translation. Little Christ, little Christ. So at some point uh, after those first early centuries, the followers of Jesus adopted the word Christian or little Christ as their identifier, redeeming its derogatory terminology and actually making it something truly beautiful. Because do we want to conform to the exact image of Christ while we're on this planet as much as possible? Yes. Just, I was about to say, just in, in case, the answer is definitely a big yes on this one, okay? Do we want to look just like Jesus if we can? Yes, yes. are we ambassadors of Christ? Yes. And our whole pursuit in life is to be like Jesus. So if you say to me, you like a little Christ, I'm super excited. I'm like, thank you. That's incredible. What a compliment. And so that's what happened. This beautiful terminology of Christian became the great identifier of those who follow Jesus. And then over the centuries, that unfolded beautifully. Trouble is, that as we enter the Western culture, that's the one we live in, uh, America's part of that, uh, around the time of the Second World War, there was this shift in ideology, the idea behind what it meant to be a disciple, and there was this clarity that people needed to come to know Jesus so they can have eternal life. Is that true? Do they need to come to know Jesus so they can have eternal life? Yes, that's true. But that became such a focal point that this conversion experience of uh, confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord became the singular primary, uh, primary focal point. If you can come to believe and confess, then you are saved and you'll have eternal life. Is all that true? Yes. yes. But what happened almost accidentally is that became such a big passion that we forgot that calling people into being disciples of Jesus, following Jesus, uh, conforming their lives to Jesus's way became a secondary reality and became accidentally optional. And the reason it became accidentally optional was because does following Jesus as a disciple in the way we live have direct bearing on whether or not you will be saved for eternity? It's a tricky question, isn't it? But the real answer ultimately, though it is yes, insofar as if you're a genuine follower of Christ, you'll follow Jesus over time. But the real answer is, are we saved by any of our works? No. no. What saves us is our faith in Jesus. This is what Romans says. Paul wrote it. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you are saved. So because the journey of discipleship, meaning the following of Jesus as an apprentice was not tied to salvation, we made that optional. You can become a Christian by believing in Jesus and never actually become a disciple of Jesus in the way that you live your life. And that's not what Jesus said when he said, follow me. So we live in a culture where when you identify as a Christian and we say Christians follow Jesus, that's not necessarily true, which is why we had to put this statement at the top of the list. We are Christians, are we not? Yes. But we also say this about ourselves as the first important identifier as a Christian is not our conversion, it's our discipleship, which includes our conversion. Can you be a disciple if you didn't come to believe in Jesus? 
No. So is conversion a critical, integral part of being a disciple of Jesus? Yes, Yes, it is. You guys are so good today. Yes, it is. But it is not the exclusive reality of what it means to follow Jesus. It is a beginning, not an end. And so we say here, we are Christians, which means that we follow Jesus. Means we actually look to him, his way, his truth, his life, and we conform our way, our truth, and our life to his way and his truth and his life. That's what we strive after. That's following Jesus. We are apprentices to our king, Jesus. The word disciple literally means translated learner, which could be translated equally student. The problem with student in our culture is that a student in our culture is thought of as primarily an intellectual collector of information. But the student word in most cultures, past and even present, is thought more of as someone who is an apprentice. You are learning information from someone, but you are also learning from them the totality of what they know. You are their apprentice. The word disciple means essentially apprentice. So what we are saying as a starting point is that we are followers of Jesus, meaning we follow Jesus. We are his apprentices. And so this way we can look to each other and say, are you actually following the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus? Not are you a Christian, meaning did you come to convert at some point in your past? That's what we mean by this. So how do we then identify this reality in words to to make all of that meaning become a reality. Listen now, we're going to read. I'm going to read to you. You're going to read with me insofar as watching the screen. Don't feel like you have to read out loud. So that's not what I mean by reading with. We follow Jesus. Here's what we've said. Jesus is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He is worthy of our absolute devotion. Is that all true? Now, Pay attention. Why do we start with that? Do we follow Jesus because it's good for us? Well, it is it good for us? Is it good for us? Yes, it is. But is our motive to follow Jesus because it's good for us? Maybe at first, but it shouldn't be in the long haul. Why do we follow Jesus? Because he's the king of kings. Because he's the Lord of lords. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And why do we follow Jesus? Because he is the one Lord, the one King, the one God. This is the reality. Listen to what the scripture says um, uh, in the book of Ephesians, chapter four, verse four. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. We follow Jesus because he is the sovereign King of Kings and Lord of Lords and is worthy of our absolute devotion. Yes? So even if you or I didn't want to follow him, is he worthy of our absolute devotion? And will he, when time has come to pass, have the totality of absolute devotion from every breathing, living creature in creation? Yes, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. This is coming. I follow him because all that is true. And yet, and yet, listen to what this says. And his invitation into that devotion is to lay down the heavy burden of religion and rest in a daily abiding relationship with our Savior. So think about this. Could Jesus demand your devotion and mine? Could he literally make you devote? course he could but what does he do instead i am the king of kings the lord of lords the sovereign of all sovereigns i literally hold you together and allow me to invite you into devotion to me 
That would be one thing. That would be mind-blowing. The King of Kings invites you to be devoted to him. But what's extraordinary about his invitation is that his invitation is not about his well-being. It's about mine and about yours. His invitation for you to be devoted to him isn't actually about him, it's about you. It should be about him, it is about his glory, but he says, come follow me because here's gonna be the reality if and when you do. Listen to this, he says it in a multitude of places, my favorite being in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come to me, Jesus' direct words, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke, or in scriptural terms, my way, my truth, my life, my yoke. The yoke of a rabbi was the way that they lived and taught. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So what Jesus is saying is, though I am the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and worthy of your absolute devotion, whether you choose to give it or not, I am inviting you into devotion with me. And when you come, instead of that devotion being an added weight to your already weighty lives, a true devotion to me is about the connective relationship you have with me. And that connective relationship will give you rest, not give you more burden. And you're like, hold on, what does that mean? Because sometimes we can get our heads in the way and become followers of Jesus that believe if I do all the things he says, perform rightly, then he will be pleased in me and then I will be a good and faithful servant, right? But the story of the gospel is in fact this, you just come get close to me and I will be your rest and then I'll do much through you and for you. Watch, I'm not just making this up. What this translates into as we've put it into words is this. Life with Jesus is not a performance to live up to. It is a surrendered relationship to live into. Let me put that into scriptural words as Jesus once again unpacks this reality of what it means to follow him. Uh, John chapter, uh, chapter 15, verse 4. He's at a last meal with his disciples before his death and resurrection. Uh, and, and he says this to them, abide in me, connect to me, stay close to me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it is connected to or abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So listen, is Jesus' statement an invitation in that, an invitation to go and bear fruit for him and bring it to him and show him how awesome we are? Go bear some fruit for me. Here's what I'm looking for. Bring it back and we'll see how you did. That's how many of us live. But he's like, you can't even bear fruit if you wanted to. I'm not asking you to bear fruit. I'm not asking you to go do great and wondrous things for me. I'm asking you to stay connected to me. And when you're connected to me, what will I do in you and through you? I will bear my fruit and you will be the recipient of being a fruit bearer. When we do anything wonderful that we bring back to our king and say, look what I did. He goes, so good. But he also goes, I did it in you and through you and for you because you stayed close to me. So what is our work? Our calling. As we are followers of Jesus, our calling is to stay connected to Jesus. That's where we want to start, folks. We don't start with some mission, go do this for Jesus. We're like, no, no, no. If we are followers of Jesus, then our first work is to follow his way, his life, his truth. And then the first thing he says is stay close to me. So we've articulated that. Listen, here it is. What does this mean? This life with Jesus is not a performance to live up to. It is a surrendered relationship to live into. It starts here embedded in the very words of Jesus is a promise. I will be with you. He is Emmanuel, God with 
us and has now given us his spirit as a seal of that promise. So here's what he's saying. Stay close to me, but you don't have to come chasing after where I might be. I'm not playing hide and seek. I'm going to be where? With you, with you all the time. How do we know? Well, he said it a lot. But in Matthew, at the very end of the gospel, Jesus is getting ready to ascend into heaven. He describes the mission to his people, his disciples. And then he says this as he closes that statement out. And I will be with you until the end of the age. Until forever is over, which it never will be. He is with us so we can be with him. Some of the ways we experience the witness of our God are through the rhythms and practices that followers have implemented for centuries, like the study, uh, like study and memorization of scripture, prayer, fasting, worship, community, silence, solitude, and many more. We are devoted disciples, apprentices of Jesus. So we together learn to practice the things that keep us connected to Jesus. So we're pressing into intimate relationship with him through which he will bear much fruit through us and see his kingdom expand as we are partakers and participants in redemption as we walk out into the world on his behalf. We are followers of Jesus. So where do we start, folks? If, if people encounter us, they should say when they're done, Man, these people actually follow Jesus. That's where we start. Now, as we follow Jesus, we are saying that we are one. We are one as we follow Jesus. Where did we come up with this? Well, it turns out that actually this is a super big deal in Scripture, right? In Scripture, Jesus, at that same meal that he was talking about abiding in him, he ends up praying for his disciples. What a cool thing! The God of the universe praying for his disciples as he gets ready to go die and resurrect and then send them out into the world. And he prays some awesome stuff for them. And then at a certain point in the prayer, he literally says, now, Father, I'm not only praying these next few things for these guys in the room and my current immediate followers, but I'm going to pray these things for every follower that will ever follow me as a result of these followers telling others about Jesus, about me. Listen to what he says. And actually read it directly. This is out of John chapter 17. And he says this in verse 20. I do not ask for only these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Who does that include? Us. Us. Because we believe in Jesus because of the word of the apostles that were shared with people that were shared with people that were shared with people that were written down in scripture that came here. And so we, this, is, this is a prayer for us. That they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now listen to this. This is crazy. Oops, sorry. That just went away. Kill that. There you go. I do not ask, sorry, here it is. For the glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, Father, that they may become, watch now, perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Jesus prays for us as followers of Jesus to be that was, that was just a super easy one. I just literally read the whole paragraph. I can just read it again. This happened in the nine as well. I'm like, okay, I'm reading these scriptures again because you clearly missed how many times he asked for us to be one. He prayed for us to be one, one. one. This is a non-negotiable, and here's why. Because Jesus says something here that's pretty crazy, and he says it other places too. When we functionally behave as unified, as one, under one Lord, by one spirit, as one body, then the world knows that he was loved by the Father and that we were loved by the Father and we were loved by Jesus by our love for each other. Our oneness, our unity, our love for each other, listen now, 
is our greatest apologetic in sharing the gospel with people. An apologetic is a defense of the faith. The best way we defend the truths of who Jesus is, is by behaving as people who are one. You should get a little nervous about that because we live in a culture that has taught us to behave as anything but a people that are one. We behave as one, we think as one, we love each other as though we are one because we are one because we are in Christ. And so this, does this sound like a negotiable to you? Like a, a, it, it'd be helpful if you guys were one. No, Jesus is saying, I'm gonna pray, God, that you make them one so that the world will know our love for each other and our love for them. That's an incredible thing. And as though that's not enough, listen to this. Listen to what Paul writes later on in the book of Ephesians. He's talking about the mystery of the gospel. The people, uh, the Jewish people knew that they were gonna gain a Messiah, but they didn't truly know the magnitude of the mystery of the gospel, what God was really up to beyond just saving the Jewish people so that he could rule over the world. And now Paul is writing this mystery down. This, he says, verse six of the book of Ephesians, chapter three, this mystery is that the Gentiles, that's all the other nations except the Jews, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister. Okay, so he's saying the mystery is that how many of the nations get to be children of God? All, all of them. How many people are included in this salvation? All all nations, and when they are, they are one body, not secondary or thirdary citizens, one body, Jews and Gentiles alike. This is the great mystery. Now look what he says. This is crazy. And he, now he speaks of this mystery, same paragraph. So that, this mystery occurred, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places, this was according to the purpose that was realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. How is the cosmos, including planet Earth and the humans on it, going to know the manifold wisdom and love of God through their vision and clarity of watching, oh my gosh, Lord help us, our oneness. Our oneness. What? Like we should be shocked at that and we should move to this immediately. If we are going to live out our identity and we are one in Christ, one body, one people, then this becomes an absolute non-negotiable, which is why it's our number two. We follow Jesus and we are one. Now, that all sounds romantic, but we actually wrote something down to say, here's what it means. So buckle on up. So let's read about what we mean when we say, we are one, okay? We have been reconciled to God. Wow! And therefore, also to one another. We are not merely a collection of saved individuals. We are one people united by faith in Jesus. We are a new kind of community a body of many members, a family of brothers and sisters, a temple of living stones. Every one of those statements were pulled directly from scripture. We made none of that up. These are actual scriptural identifiers of who we are now because we belong to Jesus. So we are saying we are not just a collection of people saved by Jesus. That's how most, frankly, Western churches function. You and I are individual followers of Jesus, and this is the collection of individual followers. That's not true. That's not true. We are a people. We are a family. We are a body. We are one. This is who we are. Now, this is how this plays out. So we wrote it down. We don't just confess this in our doctrine. We live it in our culture. Who we are in Christ transcends all other differences and breaks down walls of division and hostility. Who we are in Christ transcends all, how many? All other differences. So just to be clear, FYI, 
if you follow Jesus and you're part of the church, right? Though you are an American, you are not first and foremost an American or a whatever, pick your nation. You are not first and foremost or even primarily a Democrat or a Republican or an independent, a liberal or a conservative. You are not of one particular people group or another as your primary reality and Christ is secondary. We are in Christ now in every way in Christ together and that transcends every other difference we will ever have. Transcends, transcends, is over, eliminates. Now, is diversity a beautiful thing? It is. But when our diversity creates division or hostility, then it is being misused and misplaced because we are in Christ. And our diversity has only one place as people who are in Christ, and that is to enhance the beauty of the totality of what people in Christ look like, not to create division and hostility between us. And when it does, the scripture says, whoa, whoa, what is wrong with you? You're in Christ. And being in Christ transcends how many other differences? All of them. So be different by all means, have different opinions, have different stands, think differently, think rightly or think wrongly about those stands as we all will. But if we are divided by those differences or those opinions or those things, and therefore there's hostility, then we need to rethink because to be a follower of Jesus means that we are one and to be one means that he, our relationship with him transcends every other difference. Clear enough? Okay, here we go. Who we are in Christ transcends all other differences and breaks down walls of division and hostility. We live out, here here it comes, we live out our unity. This is not just a theory, we're one. We live out our unity by loving one another tangibly when we like each other and when we don't. Forgiving one another quickly, forbearing one another patiently and serving one another selflessly. Are you going to get that right every day? I can't even get that right with the people I love most right in my house. But this is what we're going to call each other to. This is what we're going to seek out for each other to live more and more in so that I can say as months and years passed, though I don't get it right every day, I get it right more now than I ever did because I'm becoming a Christian more and more, a little Christ. I want that. Those who follow Jesus here, I bet you want that. I want to help you. I need your help. So we put this into words so that we have something to come around with each other and say, yo, yo, love you. Have you forgotten who you are? Because you are living in a way that does not reflect the identity that is actually already yours. You need to remember who you are and then this will become a reality. And then finally, the last one that we're dealing with today, we are gospel centered, gospel centered. We picked this carefully. The gospel is not a secondary thought for us. It is the central reality around which we're going to conform everything else about our life. That's what it means to be gospel centered. I center my life around the gospel. Listen to some of the scriptures that the authors of the New Testament wrote about after we come to Christ as individuals and as a collective. Galatians chapter two, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's strong language, isn't it? What is Paul saying? You had a life once, so did I. That life is no longer the one I live. That life is no longer the one that matters to me and I pursue. The life I now live, I live in faith, by faith in Christ, because he is my life. Does that sound like when we follow Jesus, that we should orient the totality of our life around Jesus? Three or four of you were like, yeah, it did sound that way. The rest of you, I'm happy to read it again. 
and I'll do it for you. Let's try this again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Is it clear that we are to orient the totality of our life around Jesus and his way, his truth, his life, which we articulate as the gospel? The story of God. Okay, listen to this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Paul writing, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, but entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are Christ's ambassadors. Does it sound like we are to orient the totality of our life around Jesus and his kingdom? We are to be gospel-centered. This is a non-negotiable. This is what followers of Jesus do. Listen to this, Hebrews chapter 12, verse one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all the saints before us through the centuries, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is now set before us, fixing our eyes to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such from sinners, such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. Are we to orient the totality of our life around Jesus and his kingdom? Last one. I just want to, oh, I'm sorry, not last one. There's two more. And there's many more than these, but just listen, listen to Colossians chapter three. If, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And Romans chapter 12 verses 1. I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God or in view of the mercies of God to present your bodies, your totality, your being as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And how do you do this? Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by that, the testing you may discern the will of God, his good and acceptable and perfect life-giving will. Orienting the totality of our lives around the truth of Jesus and the person of Jesus is what a follower of Jesus does. So we are followers of Jesus. So we are going to be gospel centered. And here's the paragraph we put under that to make sure we all mean the same thing. We center our lives individually and together on the truth of this good news, Jesus Our King and Savior was sent by the Father to live the life we could never live, die the death we deserved to die, and rise again to conquer death, darkness, and bondage. Thank you, Jesus. And now we, by Spirit-empowered faith, have life, light, and freedom. That's why we want to tell people about Jesus, because we want them to have light, life, and freedom. The gospel of the kingdom has come and is coming to make how many things new? All things new. We see, here it is, in light of all that, we see all of life as orbiting around this reality. I am going to orient my totality of life around this gospel, this beauty, this redemption, whether in marriage or singleness, career or homemaking, parenting or being parented, healthy or sick, poverty or prosperity, 
whatever our circumstances, the gospel prevails most. No, the gospel prevails, pervades all. It is not simply a part of our lives. The gospel is our life. We have not written these things lightly. We have written them with prayerful care so that you and I, who call Mosaic home, can have words to put into clarity what it looks like to be followers of Jesus so that when we are following Jesus shoulder to shoulder, we can celebrate his grace toward us, encourage one another and go, man, it's so fun to follow Jesus with you. And when you or I forget our identity and ourselves and begin to behave in a way that does not look like this, we get to come alongside each other, grab each other by the shoulders, look each other in the eye and say, have you forgotten yourself? Is this what you want? Stupidity, idiocy, darkness, death and bondage? I mean, sounds like a fun thing. No, man, you're in, you're in Christ. Come on and call each other back because we love each other. Because we love each other. This boils down to what we've said here for years. Preach the gospel to yourself first because if you forget who Jesus is, what he's done and who you are because of him, then you will make this a task list instead of just the way you live because of who you know he is and who you know you are. Second, preach the gospel to each other. I need you to preach the gospel to me. I hope I can preach the gospel to you so that you never forget and I never forget. And then third, as we're living that out, let's preach the gospel to the world. So here's what it boils down to. Folks, at Mosaic, as we chase into 2024 and beyond, we want to be a people that demonstrate our passion for God and his passion for people as we love God, love people, and serve the world. We want to do that by being a people that are equipping and being equipped for the work of the ministry, that thing we just called the mission, to be a people that share the gospel with others, with each other and with the world, to be a people that are part of multiplying gospel outposts for more of that to happen so that life, light and freedom can come to more people and to be a people that care about the vulnerable because that's what our King and our Lord said to do. And then we are gonna do that living out the identity of our reality as Christians, little Christs. We are going to live as people when people watch us that they can say, those folks follow Jesus. They actually follow Jesus. They behave as though they are one, as though the following of Jesus is the primary identifiers of their unity and everything else is secondary. And they center their lives around the gospel. They orient their lives around the gospel. They are gospel-centered. And... They are extravagantly hospitable. They are fearlessly generous and they are daringly missional. We will get to those three next week and then our briefing will be over. We'll get back into Hebrews and we will live together out the wonders of our calling to participate with God in seeing his kingdom come and the kingdom of darkness die. This is who we are. This is what we're gonna do. Let's pray. God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your clarity, your inclusion of us in the great mission that you have when you didn't need us and don't need us. The beauty of you empowering us by our intimacy with you as we abide in you and by the power of your spirit so that even the fruit we bear is not something we do as a performance to show you, but something we receive as a result of our intimacy and connection to you. Help us to be a people that work at the abiding with you that work together at preaching the gospel to each other to remind ourselves of who we are, to live out the, the expressions of our identity in you so that people would know you as they see us. Help us to be devoted disciples of you, Jesus, by your spirit, functioning as one as we love each other well and learn to do that more and orient the totality of our lives around the truths of your kingdom and who you are, the gospel, so that we would live out the things you lived out for us and while you were on this planet. We love you. We are yours. We are for you. We are with you because you are for us and with us long before we could be for you or with you. And we are grateful and in awe of all that you have done for us, all that you are for us. 
and all that you have made us to be. Light, life, and freedom because of your extraordinary grace and love toward us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.